On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are solving a brutal double murder alongside Andrew Garfield in Under the Banner of Heaven on Disney+, Plus, trawling through memories with an amnesiac Gugu Mbata Raw in Surface on Apple, and getting trapped in a place that sucks people in and never allows them to leave. No, not Camden Town, but rather the town in Sky Sci-Fi's From. I'm James Dyer. And welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your weekly guide to every show that matters. And lest we forget, a show that you'll get the chance to see live on the 21st of August when we celebrate our 200th episode at King's Place in London. Uh, Tickets are on sale now, so do check our socials or indeed my socials for details. Uh, Come for the afternoon, stay for the evening and get the chance to meet Beth's parents in person where they can explain at length where her inexplicable antipathy for The Wire comes from. Uh, And speaking of which, I am joined as is my want by... Two of the finest minds in all of TV journalism. First up, the original sneakerhead, a man who is currently sporting what I can only assume is the very best Sports Direct has to offer. It is the Supreme <laughs> Chancellor. You see what I did there? Mr. Boyd Hilton. Now, we, I should pull back the curtain a little bit. We're recording remote today for reasons. Uh, so I need to know, Boyd, because I can't see, what's on your feet? What trainers are you wearing? And what do they say about you? I'm actually, I'm, uh, I'm actually in my socks today because I'm at home, what? obviously. Yes. Well, oh, wow. I don't need to Call be, yourself I'm, a sneakerhead. I know, I know. I'm sorry. Um... There were this week was a big week for sneakers though because um, there was a very limited edition Virgil Abloh um, Nike Air Force One a release which which um, was so exclusive you had to get them from sorry Louis Vuitton Louis Vuitton that's the key element I, I forgot to mention Louis Vuitton right, okay. Nike Virgil Abloh collab and these were only sold on Louis Vuitton's website in an incredibly complicated system <laughs> of where you had to log in and you were held in a queue and select people were picked out and then you had to give them the money so these were all, these were these cost about two grand to start with so you had they, they had to pay yeah. Per, per shoe in various what? different colors. Hang on, per and shoe? Then, you bought them individually? What, well, so like I, four I, grand for the set? or? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're only allowed to, I think, to go to go for one pair. And but then, you got a pair. It, it wasn't like per I sneaker. No, I didn't, no okay. I didn't get I, I didn't get through. Um, oh but then pe- people who did, they were instantly worth many, 10 times that amount. And they were going for like 10, 20 grand. On, and Sotheby's, Sotheby's um, had a sale of them later that same day. So this is the, this is peak um, trainer madness. Wow. Was so you were going to drop a crisp two grand on these shoes. Well, and you would you what, have, though? would you have, crucially, would you have flipped them for like 20 later that day or would you have kept them? I would have flipped them. Okay. I didn't even particularly like the design that much, to be honest. So I would have. But you knew this, they'd be worth the yeah. cash money. Um, right. this, this is like the easiest flip in the history of trainers. They're so sought after and everyone, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't imagine many people apart from hardcore trainer lunatics would have actually kept them for themselves. What? How, um, yeah. how, how did the selection process work? It sounds like Bergheim or something. It was quite complicated. Yeah, it was It, it was like they, they, you had to kind of be there on, on the website and then they'd send you a message saying, right, you're in a queue for this style and you had to join the queue. And But, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was a nightmare. Yeah, frankly, um, it was very complicated. But there we go. Um, wow. And there was a, there were a couple of other big sneaker drops this week. It was a big week. It was quite a big week for some reason for uh, trainers. But at the moment, I haven't decided which pair I'm going to wear today. I think I'm probably going to wear my um, the my, my my Supreme Nike collaboration, which I wear pretty much every other day. All right, all right. Here's here's a question: What is what is the crown jewel of sneakerdom? Like, what are the best sneakers in the world? Um, 
Well, when you say best, do you mean best or most valuable? Okay, mean- okay, okay. Oh, let's put this way. Let's put it this way. <laughs> if you could have, if you could snap, if a genie like popped out of the pilot TV lamp and said, "Boyd, I will grant you one wish. That wish has to be for sneakers. You can have one pair of sneakers, any pair of sneakers. Which pair would you have?" Um, well, I'd that's probably a real thought have. Going into this. Yeah. Um, I would probably have um a very old school the back a proper OG Nike Supreme sneaker collab from from like you know um. 20 years ago, uh, which are highly sought after, and they're a nice design as well. Yeah, so it would probably be those. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> which I think probably now would cost if you've got them on the if you've got them on the, the the resale market would cost you like two or three grand or something like that. Boy, when I was 14 years old, I went to America on holiday and I bought a pair of Reebok <laughs> pumps, and they had the little pump in the tongue that yeah. pumped up the tongue. If I still had those mint in their box, would they be like worth a fortune? Do you know what? I'm not a very. Uh, I, I, I'm, the other thing about my sneaker knowledge is very limited to mostly to Nike and a little bit Adidas. So I have no right, idea okay. about Reebok. Um, yeah, I, I'm quite okay. limited in my. Yeah, it's it's Fine. the same with football. I mostly know about Arsenal. Um, okay, yeah. well, clearly it's it's not going to be the Bitcoin of its day then. Uh, all right. Well, also with us, of course, is a woman whose two weathered pair of vans say more about her than I probably ever could. It's Beth Webb. Hello. That was a shit intro compared to Boyd. Boyd got yeah. Supreme Chancellor. He got a seat. He got all these things. And shit van owner, Beth Webb. <laughs> I, I'd run out of inspiration. I'm sorry. Like, I'd out like, of steam. Yeah, I used it all on Boyd. I had nothing left after that. I I don't know where you go from there. No, it's uh, the Supreme Chancellor thing is actually one of my favourite uh, memes where they've gotten there where it's got a picture of, of Palpatine from Star Wars and it just says Chancellor and underneath it says Supreme Chancellor and it's the same picture of Palpatine but he's in all the Supreme gear oh my and it's, it's very funny. Oh, that's good. That's, 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 that's good. That's, 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 that's good. Giggle. Funnily enough, proper I just checked giggle. the price because when you asked me that question, I was like, actually, I wonder how much they've got. So Nike Supreme SB Dunk High Pros, right, from back in the day, 10,099 they're going for at the moment. 10,000. So worth uh, less than the Louis Vuitton one. <laughs> from this week yeah they are but that but much nicer than the louis vuitton ones to be fair okay. sorry to interrupt okay. beth's intro with more sneaker no nonsense. it was a short one boy it was a very short one you didn't <laughs> yeah. interrupt anything apparently so. sorry i'll put more effort in next time well not next week because i won't be here but yeah. spoiler for later on yeah. um right right what have we been watching this week people um i'll start it's been a disappointing <laughs> week for me i watched two shows this week outside of our um our regular homework um, both of which I found to be quite disappointing. The first of which was Loot. So this is the Mary Rudolph mm. um, Apple series that we didn't get around to reviewing, did we? But boy, you watched all of it. And mm. I oh, no, um, I didn't watch all of it. Oh, you I did only watched it? a couple. Yeah, just a couple. Yeah. Okay, well, I watched two, I think, to begin with, and I finished it because they're half-hour episodes. It's nice and easy. I love mm. Mary Rudolph. Uh, Adam uh, Adam Scott's in it a little bit and I love him so I was like cool uh, I'll see what this is like and it just couldn't keep up with Mia Rudolph um, which I think is is something of a crime but there is one amazing scene which I almost wish wasn't in it because it just shows how great Mia Rudolph is and it's been circulating on the internet have you seen I, I feel like Boyd this might have come up on your radar but she does the Hot Wings interview yeah. in character yeah. in her character yeah. in Lou so she's doing the Hot Wings interview to try and talk about the charity work that she's doing and the, the gag is that she can't even handle the mildest wing so it's the first one on the board and she's already drinking like gallons of milk <laughs> and cussing but it's such a feat in swearing first and foremost like the woman can swear like wonderfully and just like visual comedy and and impeccable timing and she's really ferocious and funny 
And as a standalone scene, that's amazing. But I didn't think the rest of the show really knew what to do with her. Like, it's got a mm. nice heart to it. It kind of skews more to a Parks and Rec workplace comedy, I would say, but with a massive budget. I definitely see what you mean, Boyd, what you were saying last week about um, how these shows all look the same for Apple. And I wonder if yeah. it's something to do with the equipment that they use. Maybe I'm looking into it too much. Yeah, maybe. I wonder if Apple's got this kind of caveat that if you make a show with them, you've got to use like a certain type of stuff. Yeah, it might be, mightn't it? Yeah, I don't that's know. interesting. I don't, I, I don't know enough about like production companies and things, but like it, it definitely feels like that, isn't it? Everything looks yeah. so moneyed. And the whole point with this is she has a lot of money, but like the outfits and everything, they're like beautiful. But yeah, it was just lacking bite and mm. like zest apart <laughs> apart from that one scene. Um, so it's just a bit like, I think they've kind of left it sort of vaguely open, open-ended for a second. It it, they renewed. I can't uh, remember. I think it has. I think it has, yeah. Well, that would make sense. I just, yeah, she's just such a force. And I like, like, she's so amazing. Like, she's definitely up there with your, well, she is up there with your Tina Fey and your Amy Poehler. So it's just like, I wish they just gave her something that allowed her to really mm. use her full capability. You know, I think is the is the um, star I love in that show, though, is Joel Kim Booster, who plays her assistant. <gasps> yes. You know, he is hilarious. He's amazing. And I've just watched yeah. Fire Island with him in yes. as well. And he's just he's just wonderful. So it was a real joy to see them. They're all great performers. I've, I'm stupidly forgotten the name of the incredible performer from Glow, who's in it, and she's this kind of straight arrow to Mary Doff's. Um, yeah, back and forthness. So it's, a, it's an incredible cast, absolutely. But I just, yeah, yeah. I, I it just lacked the oomph for me that it needed to keep up with those performers. And then because I felt like I just have to start watching it at this time. I started watching The Boys and I got four episodes. <laughs> I've got four episodes in for this. And I'll tell you what it is. I'm just not in the mood. I'm just not in the mood <laughs> for that show. And maybe that will change. But I gave it four. I was like, I'll go up to four. It's, it's something's got to give. I'll go up to four. And nothing. I'm just not in the mood. And I feel like if I'd watched this show and it came out in 2019, when it had that real slap you around the face, look at this kind of impact to it, maybe I would be more so. And there's good stuff in there. Carl Urban's obviously amazing. Talk about like poetic swearing. Like he's obviously, his delivery is amazing and I like this role for him. But there is, I mean, I won't spoil it for people who haven't watched it yet, but there's a few storylines in there where I'm just not in the mood to see it. I feel like at this stage, if I'm going to see women being abused by the hierarchy's power to, to any feet at this stage, I'm just like, you've got to say something new about this. You've got to be moving this conversation forward. I can't just see you being like, oh, isn't this horrible? Isn't this horrible to be a woman? Like, it's like, yes, I know. And I'm sure this was, you know, it was 2019. So I feel like it was in that kind of knee jerk era after Me Too, where people were just sort of scrabbling to get those storylines out onto the screen to kind of capture that. I'm reluctant to see Zeitgeist, but there was a real kind of slew of Me Too storylines kind of like coming out off the back of obviously Me Too. So I'm sure at the time to see those stories being told on screen would have meant something differently, but to watch it today in 2022 when like that's, it's all been done. So to go back and mm. watch those kind of peppered within this ensemble storyline i was just a bit like ah, not in the mood i'm not in the mood mm. 
I found it. I I found it quite tiresome to to begin with. Yeah. Um, uh, when we first reviewed it, I found it a bit try hard and a bit yeah. yeah. I, so I kind of agree with you. There was there's a there's a point at which, and I can't remember exactly when it was because I kind of carried on watching it, and there was a point at which I just kind of gave in to it. So um, <laughs> you know, I think I think it actually did get cleverer. Right. Uh, though, because I, th- I think you're right. Uh, right at the beginning, when the very 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 obvious Me Too storyline yeah. is in there for a start, um, but once it got more, I think more even more more confident and slightly less try hard mm. and slightly more emotionally um, engaging in season two, I, I I went along with it more. And season three, I think it was the best season yet, and I, right. I I really engaged with it more. But I, I know what you mean. I think that is a, that I think that's quite a. I think a few people found it a bit a bit much, yeah, and weren't in the mood. And that's I looked down to the show rather than you. <laughs> yeah. You watched episode four though, which means that you did get as far as the dolphin scene. <laughs> I did get as far as the dolphin scene. <laughs> which at the time was quite the moment. <sighs> yes. <laughs> Beth, not impressed by the dolphin scene. I just, no. I just oh, I was just there was not a single obviously there are female characters in there who are perpetrators, but there was of the people we're supposed to be backing, there was not a single woman in there whose storyline wasn't being shit on by male hierarchies. Like, they were just being dumped on. And I was like, especially in this week, which we will get into, but I was like, (laughs) oh, God, right, okay, I I guess more of this. And I think it's just, it's just the wrong time to to watch this show. I think, uh, yeah. So I, I just, I just come away. I'm I'm probably not going to watch it. I didn't really like Jack Quaid either. I don't think he's, He's all that. <laughs> Maybe I'm just in a babby this week. I don't know. Yeah, that, but- well, his character is a bit bland. And actually, his character, funnily enough, one of the things about season three is that he's got much more to do in season three than right. he does yeah. previously. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, there's a scene where he's, he's trashing his room. And I was like, this just isn't very good. <laughs> it's just this just isn't this hmm. this just isn't it's not very good really. So <laughs> I don't know. I've I've yet to kind of yeah, I'm sure I'm gonna get a lot of heat for this from our dear followers. Please please be gentle followers. But um yeah, it I just weren't in the mood. Maybe another time. Yeah. No boys for Beth then. No. Uh Boy D, what have you been watching? Um well uh I we, we should get on to Better Call Saul. Oh, I mean, yeah, no, that's I mean, not, this is I a can't. weekly. This uh, we should really be doing a weekly spoiler special, like you do, like <sighs> like Chris does. With, um, perhaps, but I can't be here for it, and I can't. So, I just don't have the strength, boy. So you you crack okay. on, but I can't do okay. it. Now right. I have okay. to butt in here and immediately drop in a warning. So we were on press for the magazine this week, and uh, I was reading through the pages as is my want, uh, and there was a spread that came out which had a couple of things on it, including board review of season six of Medical Soul, which I was like, I had to read through and double check. So I started to read it and then I stopped and I was like, I know Boyd. I know Boyd. <laughs> so I called John Nugent over and I went, uh, John, could you just sense check this review for me? I want you to read it. I don't want to read it because I reckon Boyd's put a spoiler in it. I just, I, can feel, I feel a tremor in the force. I feel something niggling at the back of my lizard brain telling me he's put something in there that's going to annoy me and I'm going to have to kill him for it. So John read through it and he was like, yeah. He's like, so he went through it. I don't know what it was. Whatever it was actually did get taken out. It is now not in the printed issue. But there was, it was agreed by the Empire consensus that a spoiler was in the review. But luckily, luckily, thanks to my Peter Tingle, my spider sense, whatever you want to call it, I did not see said 
spoiler, so I remain unsullied by it. So I put this to you now as a kind of like, (laughs) as you're about to speak of it, please bear Mm. that in mind. Yes. I did try and take it. uh, Oh, God, it's really hard. hard, That was one of the hardest reviews I've ever had to write because I'm writing it in in the situation where I'm halfway through the final season Mm. and um, by the time it comes out, the final season will more or less have been finished almost. But there will certainly be many more things that that people who have watched it will know about. And yet I have to not spoil it for (laughs) idiots like you who are way behind. (laughs) (laughs) True. That's Um, very true. So it was difficult. It was really difficult. But all I'd say about the the most recent episode that we saw this week was, oh, God, all right, I can't... I mean, there's almost nothing to say. There's nothing you can say. (laughs) Well, here we go. I'm going to say this. It was in the. It was an absolutely. It started out. I think it started. I mean, there's a beautiful opening montage. Yeah. Where everyone's trying to um, carry on with life. Mm. That's all I'll say. Right. Yeah. You're doing this very well, boys. (laughs) Thank you. That was a, that was that montage, the opening montage of that episode, episode nine of this season, is a work of art. The coffee cup then, was insane. Yeah, coffee cup, um, marinara sauce, etc. Yeah. Anyway, that is a, is a masterpiece. Then it kind of settles down, almost, and you're almost thinking it's a bit of a placeholder episode in a way. You're thinking, oh, okay, mm. this is kind. Of, there's a scene, there's a discussion of wine in the oh. middle of it, right? Not a spoiler. I'm not going to say which character discusses wine, the, the, but that scene, which mm. was exactly what we were talking about last week, James, when we were talking about you know how deliberately paced it is. Mm. This scene, mm. right? A, a script writing professor would probably tell a student if they put this scene in their in their um, script, take it out. What the fuck is that scene doing in there? It's the long, long thing of discussion. It's like completely irrelevant to the main storyline. What are you playing at? But it was brilliantly done, and it was <laughs> actually a bit of character work oh that God. just was was fantastic. There was uh, a, no spoilers. No, no spoilers. And you know that this comes with an extra extra power coming from me who would be the professor with a red sharpie going no yeah. no yeah. get it down to 30 minutes but <laughs> yes. with, with this there is a facial expression that concludes that scene that just yeah. punches you in the face heart and knees yeah. it's just yeah <laughs> A knee yeah. puncher of a, a knee face. Punch. <laughs> a knee, a knee s- punch. Oh god. Yeah. And then you're, but then even then you're like, and this is, you know, this is fascinating and lovely, and you know, this is great stuff. But you're thinking this is not like, you know, a, a, an epochal episode. But then it turns into an absolute legendary, yeah, crucial, yeah, piece of episode. One of probably the most important episode yet. Yeah. Um. And 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 it always left it. You're left at the end. It's thinking all kinds of questions. You're thinking, what does this mean? What? How is it going to carry on from here? What's going to fit? What? What are the next? What are the final four episodes going to do with that? I do, I, I'm dreading it, boys. Yeah. I'm, I'm fucking <laughs> dreading it. And is that you know? Is that does that conclude certain? Th- no, I'm not even going to go there. Okay, right. so yeah. <laughs> it put it this way. It, it's it, it was just it ended up being absolutely um key key episode in the history of the show. So there's that. Then I thought I'd, um, you know, I thought I'd have a look at because of all the Emmy nominations. There are a couple mm. of shows that I hadn't seen at all. The Abbott Elementary, which got quite a lot of yes. Emmy nominations, um, so I checked it out. It's on uh, Disney Plus here, and it's basically a um, sitcom. It's a half hour sitcom, um, very much like a Parks and Rec 
the office style faux documentary about a um, elementary school in uh, New York. I think it's New York um, where, and it's all about um, little kids being taught by um, egomaniac ad- uh, teachers. And there's a lot of um, rock kind of the headmaster is a bit of an headmistress is a bit of an idiot and everyone resents her. Um, and it's, it's just, it's fairly kind of um, low concept show. It's really enjoyable to watch. I have to say mainly because the kids, and, and you're talking about the kids it features are like from second grade. So they're like about, you know, they're, you're talking eight, nine-year-olds up till 10, 11. And the kids are fantastic. They are brilliant. And can you imagine like how what that's a pretty big ask to to film a show that is taking the faux documentary style. So it has to com- it has to be convincing, the acting and the way, you know, it has to come across as these are actual real kids, because you're making a documentary about them. And they are so brilliant. And the, t- the, 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 the adults are pretty good as well. But um, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It's, I wouldn't say it was like, I don't think it's like required viewing. I don't think it's like, you know, you're not like missing a, a, an incredible phenomenon. But it, a bit like how Parks and Rec started, when you remember when it started out, it wasn't, it was just like a fairly standard show. It wasn't like amazing. Um, but it could turn, this could turn into something amazing. Um, and it's certainly very enjoyable. It's quite uplifting as well in its way because it's kind of looking at a public, as in America, a public school, as in, you know, a, a non fee paying yeah. school. Um, and it's kind of celebrates education, but not in a kind of, not in a preachy way. And it shows that even in a fairly, you know, in, in an area where, you know, it's not exactly a wealthy area, um, and probably most of the kids are like from working class families, but they're still having a pretty great time. And, you know, it's very, it's very uplifting in that way. So um, I, I very much enjoyed it. That was Abbott Elementary, which is on Disney Plus, in case I didn't say. And then I finished We Own This City mm. as well. And I really liked all that. I, I mean, it is, it is brilliant. I really mm. like the way they literally go back in the final episode to the first scene of the first episode. <laughs> Do you remember they, they have them saying the same yeah. bullshit stuff that they yeah. said, the police, right at the beginning of the story? Yeah. I thought that was really clever. Um, and it just showed you how, just how entitled those police are. It really made you think about what kind of person actually – I mean, this is a huge generalization, I'm going to say anyway. What kind of person wants to join the police in, you know, in, in this day and age, in that day and age, yeah. in Baltimore? Yeah, well, in that particular case, it felt like it wasn't even just the police. It felt like every sort of strata mm. of the sort of social infrastructure of the city oh, yeah. was just rotten to the core. And it was like an entire culture of corruption. It was almost like almost without breaking mm. it down and rebuilding from scratch, almost felt like it was irredeemable. And I get I think that was what Simon was trying to say. I don't know whether that's oh, obviously course. actually the case, but it was really yeah. bleak. Hundred percent. And um and, and the title cards at the end, which oh, showed you like, yeah. you know, oh this person took over, they they were involved in this, <laughs> oh this tree. It was incredible. Yeah. It was almost like parody, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. It was almost yeah. it was almost parody, but horrible life. Just horrible. Yeah. Uh, incredible just what we need at the moment <laughs> yeah exactly yeah but shout out, i want to speak a shout out to one me masaku you know who's a british british yeah. oh my god actress so yeah. good yeah so good in it she is the kind of one one of the few you know morally upstanding characters in the whole thing yeah um she was brilliant as um, the attorney who, who kind of dealt with the whole case um so yeah but i just think what a gr- what incredible um career she's having mm. um as this british 
actress who's like just just absolutely um doing brilliant work in american mostly american mm. shows at the mm. moment um so yeah uh shout out to her and um uh she was also in loki lovecraft country like pretty Luther incredible stuff had a very Luther, bad day in the most recent episode of yes Luther, so. she, you're right yes you're absolutely <laughs> right um yeah so those are my things that i've been watching <laughs> good well i watched the whole of season four of Better Call Saul. <laughs> ah. So I am now starting. I've now watched the first episode of season five. And this is as oh we record. We're recording on Friday. So by the time the weekend's over, you never know. I might be up to date. Wow. But I've, uh, yeah, so I've done Better Call Saul season four, which is the best season yet, as far as I'm going. Mm. Uh, and I've just got one word to say to you. The end of season four, I was like, Werner. Oh uh, that's that's mm. all I had. I was like, that broke me completely. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's a bit good, isn't it? It's a bit good. It's a little it's bit bad, good. Is it? Is it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's been fun. I'm very, very glad that I took the time to get COVID and watch this. But no, what I'm saying is I, I'm very glad that I've actually done this because I've been, like, I've been threatening to do this for years. It's funny though, that like some people, like some of our listeners have been saying, you know, you're absolutely right. I found it so hard to get through those early ones. And like the pacing took me ages. And they had the same journey I had where they finally got over the hump. And then they're like, okay, now it's smooth sailing. Now I'm really happy. Whereas other people were saying they were hooked from the first episode of the first season. And it's just, I find it quite mm. interesting. Like it's affected people in such different ways. And people said that about Breaking Bad as well. Like I've long been a believer that a lot happens in season one of Breaking Bad. Um, but for me, it isn't until season three, again, that it picks up the pace. I think season two is very good. Mm. But again, you know, with all the imagery about the plane and the bear and stuff, like it's quite abstract and it's not fast moving. And it's not the the plot builds momentum as you get into that third year. Uh, but I think it sometimes takes people a different amount of time to crack through the very particular tone and pacing that Gilligan uses. So I don't know. I guess uh, mileage varies across the board. But nevertheless, I am flying now as I go into season five. So hopefully, you know by the time we record next week's podcast i'll be if not up to date at least on season six so oh, i'm excited about that i forgot yeah. to say by the way did i miss this last week i can't remember i went back and watched the the episode of season two of breaking bad where they bring in where you meet saw for the first time um, oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so interesting. It's so interesting. It's called Better Call Saul. It was um, episode eight, season two. Um, it's abs- it has a brilliant opening scene that I totally forgot about oh, where wow. there's a drug deal on. The- Do you remember a drug deal on the bench? I don't even remember. Um, it's classic. It's just the way it's done. It's so it's just funny. It's really funny. And it's incredible. It's interesting how broad um, the character of Saul is at that point. You know, he's co- he's the comic relief, you know, yeah. in that episode. And and you're like, oh, this is a whole different turn for Brad. I remember watching going, oh, Breaking Bad's gone quite wacky, you know. Because um <laughs> but um it's all there. That the way they the way they planted just, you know, key lines and which then ripple out and have and just basically helped invent the whole show, you know, of Better Call Saul. Absolutely inc- incredible stuff. It's it, it, so it's really interesting to watch it again. Am I right in saying that um, Mike Ehrmantraut, like the character, like Jonathan Banks' character, I seem to recall he's only in Breaking Bad because Bob Odenkirk had a scene and he wasn't available to shoot it. Like, he wasn't able to do it. Yeah. And they needed someone else to do it. And that's why Mike exists. And it's amazing to think that Breaking Bad and this whole universe could have existed without Mike had Bob been available. That kind of blows my mind. Yeah, I think you're right. I I think you are right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, astonishing. Astonishing sequence of events. Mad stuff. 
Right, okay, that is what we've been watching. Time now for this week's listener question, which we mentioned in passing but haven't come back to since, so I don't know if you guys even know what we're doing in terms of this week's listener <laughs> no. question, but I'm going to surprise you. It is Steve's question from last week that we very nearly did but didn't have time for, uh, and Steve says, Hey, guys, I have a question for the pod. On the most recent pod, not the most recent pod, actually the pod, but one. Uh, it was discussed that some TV shows don't need to be eight hours long. I wonder who said that and could have been a film. Um, so my question is, what films should have been TV shows? Ah, uh, yes. I'm glad, yes, I have a whole um, rant prepared for this. You, Go on, you uh, let's hear it. Yeah. Let's yeah. have it. <laughs> so, um, because the film version of Where the Crawdads Sing, I think it's only today <laughs> as we speak. It is, um, yeah. It, and, yeah. <laughs> And I went to the screening of the film a couple of weeks ago, and my and what the thing that I thought about when I, I quite enjoyed it, by the way. I'm not one. Of, I'm not a hater. I'm not. Obviously, I'm not a hater at all. It is massively flawed, um, <laughs> but and I'm not going to spoil it. But the, for me, the biggest flaw of the whole thing is it tries to tell an incredibly complicated, multi-layered, densely packed storyline across two hours. And it could just could and should have been a mini series. It should have been a limited series. It should have been a five or six episode limited series. It's so absolutely obviously true that it does not work when it's t- the pace of it is almost comical. Like and and I think as I was watching it, I was thinking, I wonder whether I would have had the same reaction to this that I'm having if it hadn't if I hadn't been so immersed in the world of long form TV drama. And you're thinking, oh, this is the kind of film they barely even make anymore. It's a big, it's a pretty thick book, I think. Anyway, not massively long, but it's a decently, you know, thick wodge of a novel. Um, and to kind of simplify it in this way, and I'll give you the particular my where it all all became crystallised for me. How stupid it was! <laughs> it, certain elements of this film. And I go, this, I don't. Think, this is a this is a, the premise of the film partly, but. The main character, played by Daisy Edgar Jones, who's supposed to be this, like, she, she's lives with a family in this North Carolina kind of shack out in the woods by the water. And it's all very um, kind of like, you know, it's all, all they're poor, they haven't got any money. Uh, her dad is this, like, you know, drinking, abusing guy, um, abuses his wife and kids in a horrible and quite horrendous way. And one of the things that happens is quite quickly she's left on her own to fend for herself as like a kid, a little kid. I think she's like eight or nine years old or something. And everyone leaves, like her mum leaves, her brother leaves. At no point do any of them go, oh, why don't I just grab the kid, grab my daughter and take her with me? So they all just leave her. Oh my god! Have you seen it, James? <laughs> I have not. No, I couldn't make the I mean, screening, so I haven't I seen it. But seen it, no. you would be like, you would have walked out of the cinema. I think um, <laughs> I'd have gone. No, it's like big screen yeah. breeders. I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> this happens, and this happens early on. And again, so uh, it, people, if you think I'm spoiling it, I was looking at all the reviews. This is like it's a, it's a, it's an it's the premise yeah, of the it's, it's the premise of the story. She's even left I know that abandoned going in. Yeah. this poor yeah. girl, and no one thought, why didn't the mum take him with her? And what what I thought it it, it as I say crystallised for me was. That if this was a, a five-hour show, they would have been able to spend the time and to get this to get this narrative making some kind of sense. They would have established reasons why the mum felt she couldn't take her daughter with her when she <laughs> abandons her and leaves her abusive husband. It would have taken time to show why her bigger brother could also felt he because he lived separately felt that he couldn't take his little sister with her and subjected her to living with this abusive monster, alcoholic monster out in the woods, abandoned. You know that's what that's the whole point of these things. That when you have when you when you have time to develop stories and character. 
you it makes it more believable. You at least try and make it make sense and mm. believable. As it is in the film, you're left with this gigantic hole, this abyss of like emotional devastation. You're like, why the fuck have they left her there? It's so, and it almost becomes comical. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are, and there are various other scenes in the film that are quite funny because they're rushed so quickly. Like the whole court case. There's a in, in in the book. There's the trial. The whole this whole quite complicated trial where she is the accused is intercut with her life as it's as it's going on and the base men she meets and relationships she forges. In the film, like key moments of the trial are dispensed within about half a second. And it's really and it, again, I was thinking this is ridiculous. It's really quite funny how rushed the whole thing is and how little so much of it makes any sense and I think in the book where she's taken the time to explain these things at length over hundreds of pages and in a miniseries film it would have worked so much better so that is my main answer to this I think quite good question I also throw in Divergent the Divergent films were ridiculous and like they they completely could have been like a long running big 10 hour you know 10 hours well, that was book. post hunger games wasn't it they were trying to cash yeah. in on the hunger games yeah. they took the veronica broth books and they were like yes this will be the next hunger games it wasn't yeah exactly, uh, obviously yeah. the most egregious problem as i've said many many times with those is they do not seem to understand the difference between an adjective and an abstract noun and it's just like the whole thing is like if you're going to name things after traits you can't call one of them abnegation and then the other one dauntless it's like no just use the same fucking word forms it's so grammatically problematic it drives me insane oh, anyway oh, that, is, that, is, that is the most James yeah. that is the most James response to a film yeah. series or book series in history yeah. Um, yeah those are my main choices I also question I mean I loved the first film and massively I think it's an, I completely adored it June but it's quite weird, isn't it, to to reduce that that those that book into I, like even two two and a half hours. I films. know what you mean, and weirdly, that was one of my kind of things where initially it was just like sh- this should be a TV series because it needs room to breathe. But that Denis Villeneuve kind of had his cake and ate it in that he did it as a film, but he didn't really. He's done done it as two massive films, yeah. so he's yeah. kind of got the best of both worlds. You have got the big screen budget yeah, and spectacle, but with the runtime of like a limited series. So yeah. do you know what? Fair play to him. Yeah, and in fact, that that the script for that so the, for the first film is, is like an object lesson in how to um, how to kind of brilliantly simplify yeah. and clarify an incredibly dense, complicated novel, isn't it? The Unlike, economy of storytelling is incredible. Yeah, it's brilliant. Whereas whereas um, where the Crawdad Singh does not achieve that. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, oh God, there are so many of these. Beth, what have you got? I mean. This question was not built for me in mind, was it? Because you know that I frown on anything where a story has been mm. told over more time when it could be told in a tight 90 minutes, in a tight two hours, at a push. So you know I'm always going to say go with the film because that story is then condensed and it's done and it holds its power. So I <laughs> couldn't really answer this question in a way of you know what should be swapped out of a film and be a TV show instead. Also, we're at a time now where we're seeing TV shows based on films. You know, we've got um, American Gigolo coming out, which I'm really excited about with uh, John Berntal in the lead. We've got A League of Their Own coming out, which is a new spin on Penny Marshall's film, which I'm really excited about. So yeah, I, I'm just, I'm reluctant to say, because I always think the film exists as a film. If I didn't like a film, I probably don't want to see it as a free four-hour, eight-hour TV series. 
I don't know. The only way I would want to see a kind of a story told into a show is if it kind of already existed as a film and I want to see further into that world. So for example, if there's like incredible characters that I think have got more mileage, if there's a world that's really exciting that could be expanded and pushed on, if there's a franchise that just won't quit, I would gladly watch a TV show of that. So with that in mind, if we could get a Fast and Furious TV show, I'd be really happy. I think that would be <laughs> that would be yes. so much fun. I mean, obviously, l- it's layers of plot. There really need long form storytelling <laughs> to get under the skin of them. So, listen, it's fast cars going in different places. That's great, <laughs> including space. <laughs> space. We think of all the other places we could go. We could go to Mars with TV. We could go. We could go underground. We could go underwater. We could go in volcanoes. We could go. I don't know. <laughs> just cool places. Fast and Furious could go. Really. Um, yeah, I, I can't, but, it's a tricky one. I can't think of it. I can't genuinely think of it. And I have given it thought. I can't think of a film that I've watched where I'm like, I would rather see this over eight hours or six But this hours. interests me because as someone who is such a vocal fan of Better Call Saul, and let's not fuck about the plot of all of the seasons of Better Call Saul yeah. could happily fit into a film yeah. because it's very uneconomical, very drawn out storytelling. Yeah. And yet you love it and don't yeah. resent it for that. No. Why is that? Because it's an exception. It is an exception. The exception that proves the rule. <laughs> it is. I have not, I genuinely, and you know this, like listeners know this, I have not said this about any other show that we've spoken about. And it's true. Um, I also don't think it could be done in, in a, in a in, I don't think that, I, I think there's a lot more story. No. Uh, than I know what you it. mean in that, the, in, 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 so if you were to write down, if you were to write the synopsis of Better Call Saul, I think you'd probably keep it into some fairly short paragraphs because the actual facts of what happens are quite straightforward. But as you say, yeah. it's about character growth. Right. And that's something that is difficult to quantify in summation and takes time to play out realistically. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I know what you mean. The actual execution of it couldn't be condensed but the bare bones plotting could yeah sure but i mean almost any bare bones plotting of anything could be do you know what i mean like you could i mean there's uh, true uh, to that like predator yeah, so soldiers I, in jungle fight yeah. alien most of them yeah. die <laughs> like the sopranos the sopranos you could essentially reduce to a couple of sentences if you really wanted to yeah, yeah. you like, can, can about, be reductive about everything <laughs> yeah exactly you can be reductive about everything that's the bottom line but have you seen where the crawdads sing beth no i haven't and oh, okay. i'll be honest Probably You're right. not going to. That's going to wait for the 10 hour TV series version in a few years' time. Also, so. yeah. it's by yeah. um, Reese Witherspoon's production company. And as you'll find out a little bit later, I've got some issues with some of their oh, yeah. outlook yeah. with she Hello Sunshine have... currently. So. Yeah. yeah, she's got a certain kind of um, interest, doesn't she? A certain type of thing, story she, she likes, clearly. Yeah, Bad that's ones. true. Isn't it, isn't it true they're doing, a, they're doing a Blade Runner series, aren't they? Um, yeah. that's going to be interesting like how they spin that out over uh, and it doesn't ten- just stop with TV like there's loads of anime adaptations coming up we've done a big story in a, an issue not long ago about how these IPs are now being translated into anime and that could actually be interesting I'm not personally a I know James is going to fucking say this, but I'm not personally a massive anime fan. I know shock because I'm a fraud. James is <laughs> yeah James is that's but right like, that's interesting in that it's going to bring something like there's going to be really playful, interesting ways that they're going to adapt stuff like Scott Pilgrim, like 
Witcher like Lord of the Rings that's going to bring something entirely new to that um, creatively. Um, I can't remember why I've landed on this, but yeah, no. Um, it's it's interesting that you and I approach storytelling in very very different ways. Like for me, it's like and, is it and interesting? Look. I'm not surprised at all. Do you? <laughs> Fair enough. It's not interesting at all. In fact, it's self evident. Uh, like for me, like long form storytelling has always been, as I think I've said many times in this podcast, has always been my preferred fashion. Like the thought of like some of the films that I was looking at, it's not obvious ones. Like The Last Samurai, I'd give anything for a fucking ten part series of The Last Samurai because it's about his immersion in that world and that culture. And like it, you know, it's done. It's played out very very well in in the film mm. but you can't help thinking like if they'd had more time that could have been gloriously textured uh so i would have quite like something like the book of eli which is a film which was very underrated i remember seeing that as a surprise treat for me i loved the world i loved the character and i wanted to see more of that and i was a little bit sad when it was over even though the film was flawed uh, i remember seeing that at comic-con in fact another film i saw at comic-con was push do you remember push there was chris yeah. evans in what i want to say is his first yeah. superhero thing and it was a really strange little weird superhero thing with dakota fanning in it and joyman honson and it was all about they all have these different abilities but it was quite low-key and understated and again it had this world that i really wanted to explore more mm. um i kind of feeling netflix is bright which was not a good film at all sorry david <laughs> uh but that's the sort of thing where you know had it been a series had they spent more time on world building and less on that little plot that they tried to put together i think that would have been a much more interesting thing to look at you know the class parallels and the, the you know the, the the picture they were drawing of american society using these fantasy races i like that and then there's the obvious ones like the Dark Tower, which didn't work at all and was never going to ever work as a film and should 100% have been a TV series, even though I think there was plans to tie in the film with a TV series. I think that should have always been TV. Um, Dread is another one. Dread is a film that I absolutely love. Alex Garland's adaptation of the 2008 character. I thought that was great. Oh, yeah. And like when yeah. I go back to that, like it's, it's guts me that that film didn't do well. It really, and that we as Empire Magazine didn't give it, I think we gave it a three-star review. It was criminal. It's absolutely oh. a four-star film. Um, I thought it was great. I got into this with Alex Garland on the Empire Podcast once. I, I absolutely love it. And I kind of, it was undone a little bit because it came out very close to the raid and had a slightly similar setup. But I think that, you know, again, as a sort of six to eight part series, that would have been brilliant because it wasn't massively expensive either but you really felt mega city one you felt the feel of that you know of the 2080 environment and and uh, i would have liked to have seen seen more of that but for me it always comes back to things like that it's stuff where you know you've got to balance world building and you've got to balance plot narrative and sometimes the world building has to give way because they've got to tell a story because they have a limited amount of time and i think sometimes tv lets you tell that same story but also lets you really flesh out the characters flesh out the world and make that a really immersive place to stay uh, and as evidenced by the fact that my bookshelves contain no stories that are less than like 15 volumes long i do very much like to stay within my narratives if at all possible um but yes. Anyway, I hope that we have answered that question for you, Steve. Uh, if you have a question for us here on the Pilot TV Podcast, do send them into us uh, on social media at Pilot TV Pod on Instagram or Twitter, uh, and we may get to them at a future date. Right. Time now for this week's news. Now, I should caveat news this week by saying that we are recording this on Friday morning and Comic-Con is in full flow at the moment. Uh, there's not been a huge lot of TV news, I don't think, thus far from Comic-Con, but there will, I'm sure, be tons today, tons tomorrow and all over the weekend. So we'll be hopelessly out of date by the time this goes out on Monday. And all I can do for that is apologise. But we've seen a few things. We've read a few things. Uh, like what? Uh... Bradley Cooper is joining the, uh, is confirmed to be cameoing in the I Am Groot miniseries, which 
I'll be honest, sounded underwhelming, but having like looked into this show a little bit, it looks so cute and lovely. And um, the director has worked on um, <laughs> an animation called Adventure Time, which if anyone's watched it knows it's this really surreal, weird um, cartoon network, long running show. Um, so it looks like it's going to be fun and weird and psychedelic and exist within the Guardians universe. And so that's quite exciting, I guess. Um that's, I think that's about it at this stage, unless I've missed anything. We saw some nice trailers did come out this week. So we got our first proper look at uh, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, and our first proper look at Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon. So it's, yes. you know, fleshing those things out a little bit. Well, I must say the Lord of the Rings one was, I think, did we talk about this last week, the Lord of the Rings one? Maybe we did. Yeah, I said, we, we did. Yeah. All right, well, fine. Well, I won't bang on about that one again. <laughs> but I will say House of the Dragon then uh, did drop in the meantime. And I think it was nice to see that story take a little bit of shape. If there were dragons in it, there were Targaryens in it. There was Corlys Valerian, the sea snake. Right, uh, I'm going to yeah. stop you because <laughs> do you know what this is? Uh, we were, and boy, you don't know this either. Fucking annoying. Uh, we were doing a, a meeting the other day and James was very loudly sharing his um, hypothetical storylines uh, down the table, which like, knowing James will probably come true because he's read all the books. So can we just put a caveat on it now? You can obviously talk about this, but don't. I don't want to hear any of your theories. I don't want to hear any predictions because those are by an extension spoilers because you are more qualified to talk about this stuff and that's, that's not a compliment you're more qualified to talk about these things than we are so like yeah. something that you've said in our office if that comes true I'm going to be absolutely <laughs> my predictions are now spoilerific <laughs> oh, I mean I okay. think you speak for the nation yeah definitely yeah. alright so <laughs> I've been banned from talking about House of the Dragon for the foreseeable future can... but I quite like the trailer yes that's right and also this is, I, I owe everyone an apology because I was the one that put him onto the Duolingo High Valerian course. That is true. That so is true. That, God. Is, Which is, that is on me. <laughs> a future episode of this podcast will be introduced entirely in High Valerian if I can get competent enough in it. So that's pretty exciting. I know, I bet you can. Yes. <laughs> um, the big news of the week, though, James, obviously, that is that the best written, best acted, most perceptive TV show of the moment has been recommissioned for a new fourth season. You know, C, which I'm... a surprise fourth season for C. No, Who knew? No, and I thought it was ending no. season oh, three. Avoid what you're doing, <laughs> readers. <laughs> anyway, oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> we put this on our WhatsApp chat the other day, and my response is just nope. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Not going near it. Not touching it. Nope. Oh, uh, not off planet breeders. <laughs> not. Um, That's it. Yes. Did you see? About did that. you see? Just hastily changing the subject. Uh, <laughs> that sex education is getting a kind of a manga adaptation. No, <laughs> no. You've not seen this. So there no. is a manga being rolled out of sex education, and like I've, I've, you know, I'm looking at it now. I've got this. Got the Ace of Butterfield, the Emma Mackey, and the Shuti Gatwa characters in their manga mm. incarnations. It's coming out as a, as a, as a, you know, a thing. Oh, that's nice. I've loved um, Ryan Gosling going on about Shuti Gatua this week. Have you have you seen the, the? You know, first of all, he wore a T-shirt of Shuti Gatua as Doctor yeah. Who. I did see he's that. He's filming. Yeah, yeah um, he's filming. What's it called? Um, Barbie. <laughs> that, uh, Barbie. Yes, Barbie. <laughs> he's filming Barbie. Probably the biggest, biggest film of next yeah. year. Barbie. <laughs> Barbie. 
just Barbie. <laughs> and Shooter Cat was is going to be in it. Mm. And so he wore this Doctor Who, shooting his Doctor Who T-shirt. And then he went on the one show, um, Ryan Gosling, and said, and I quote, Shooty Gatwa, cast as Doctor Who, is the most exciting thing that's happening in the world right now. <laughs> So, Aww. yeah. And so people like Russell T. Davis was like, on Instagram, like, oh my God, like, you know, this is like a one man. Ryan Gosling is sending to a one man publicity machine for Doctor <laughs> Who and Shooty Gawa. I'm loving get, every minute. He's got to get him on there. He's got to get him on in the Yeah. 100%. He's clearly a massive Whovian because he, remember, he cast Matt Smith in that one film, not very good film that he directed. He did. Um, so, yeah. Incredible. Uh, now, did anyone watch the Andor TV spot? Because I haven't seen it. So I can I, give you no spoilerific theories about that one. <laughs> I haven't, but I um I'm excited for that show. I know some people are dubious, not naming names, but I am I'm very much looking forward to it. I really liked Rogue One, and that is, do you know what? That is one where I I am actually excited to see where that kind of world building goes because it's supposed to be very ambitious, isn't it? Lots of time frames, lots of different planets, lots of different. Like, it's actually got a lot of scope to it, whereas something like Obi-Wan was obviously existed in this very small capsule of time with, like, no stakes whatsoever. <laughs> so, yeah. I uh, haven't seen it. Looking forward to it. I wonder whether my deep-rooted antipathy towards Andor is just a reaction to, you know, I've been hurt before. Because, you know, Rogue One, which I actually like Rogue One, and I, yeah. I wrote a review for it, and I actually thought it was good, but Rogue One was a bit of a bait-and-switch. Like What it was promised to be, what they decided it was going to be early on, when Gareth uh, Williams was, was brought on board to do it, was Black Hawk Down but Star Wars. Like it was going to be Star Wars' war film. It was going to be gritty, unconventional. It was going to be nothing like you've ever seen before. And it was mm. no fault of Garrus this didn't happen. This was one of these things where I think they planned to do this where you'd have a main film, you'd have like episode seven, then you'd have one of these like crazy little indie Star Wars films for a, with a vision from a very you know unusual director. And then you go back to the main thing. And then Force Awakens made all the money in the world. And I think very much at Lucasfilm and the Disney shareholders were like, no, 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 no. We want this also to make all the money in the world. We can have none of this fucking Black Hawk Down shit. We need another proper Star Wars film. And so, you know, Tony Gilroy came in and I think the whole thing got rejigged into something a lot more more commercial whereas this and or series again is being touted as something a bit different a little bit darker a little more serious and i'm like here we go again and you know but maybe it will be maybe maybe and or the series will be what rogue one was originally promised to be perhaps it will be i don't know uh, i'd be thrilled if it is but i think part of me is just like it's a combination of that bit of history and the fact that They've already greenlit like 15 series of this. I'm exaggerating, obviously. And they're really long series as well, longer than any of the other mm. ones. So that suddenly feels like a bit like, oh boy, okay, here we go again. Um, but, you know, look, I, I may be turned around. There may be a full reverse space ferret in my future. And I'm like this, a dank ferret, if you like, Boyd. <laughs> Excellent Star Wars reference there. Uh, yeah. And, you know, perhaps I will, I will completely come around on this. It'll be great. But I think also the thing with Rogue One is, Rogue One is, you know, and no disrespect <laughs> Uh, to Diego Luna, but I felt a lot of bit, a lot that Rogue One was good in spite of the character of Cassian Andor rather than be oh, because I of him. Disagree with that. He is what is you know playing the character as he does Admiral Blander McBlanderson. Listen, uh, I, I just. <laughs> I just can't get on with him. You've got K2SO, this homicidal droid, genius. Even Jin Erso's loads of fun. Like you got good people in there, and and I just felt like he faded into the background. He was a bit of a wallpaper character. Mm, I think Sorry. he's got charisma, and I, I'm very surprised you're saying that in the wake of Boba Fett. To be honest, 
Um, I'm not defending Boba Fett. I think like, the yeah. bar is low <laughs> now. I mean, um, I would argue that Obi Wan also did not raise the bar particularly high. But no. hey ho, I I think he got he's got charisma. He's, it's just a different energy. It's just not a down and out hero's energy. It's a slightly off kilter, slightly outsider type energy, and not the type that we were used to seeing in the Star Wars universe until this. Um, I think he's great. I think I think he definitely radiates what I would describe as big rewrite energy in oh, Rogue One. That is harsh, um, but uh, also true. But look, maybe that's maybe that's part of the reason why I don't get on with him, and maybe because like this is a show built around that character, where it will be more consistent in its portrayal of him. Uh, maybe it will be more interesting. So actually, maybe I should give it a shot. That's it. I've turned around. I've reverse dank ferreted. I'm prepared to give it a shot. <sighs> Do you know what? We don't want you. We don't want you. You can go back. <laughs> go back in the tunnel. <laughs> 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 yes. Any other news? Um, they there was a Bridgerton um, announcement. Well, Bridgerton kind of uh, confirmation that season, about season three, which is completely going to be focused on um, Penelope, uh, the character played by Nicola Coughlin, which is obviously great news. I'm much more excited about season three of Bridgerton than I was about season two um, because of that. Because of that focus on Nicola's character, and they introduced they introduced new casting cast members this week um uh, daniel daniel francis sam phillips and james foon who are basically like three hot guys who will be playing various characters in the third season they have they put out a kind of behind the scenes video as well so and interestingly the um the showrunner left which i didn't i didn't know notice that news chris van dusen who show ran the first two seasons has stepped down um and apparently this was announced a while ago um and jess brownell is coming on board i think that's interesting that he stepped down because even though season two was apparently like you know because massively successful and watched by gazillions of viewers as netflix always says all their big shows are <laughs> who fucking knows who the fuck knows how many people watch them but i think there was an absolute perception from a lot of viewers and critics that they slightly dropped the ball with season two um, in making it felt much le- it felt blander than season one in many ways um, a lot less nudity and gratuitous sex so I wonder whether you know I'm speculating massively but I think it's interesting that the showrunner has left put it that way yeah there was also a glimpse of the White Lotus. You know, HBO did a um, a kind of like what the, all their big stuff coming soon. There was like a few seconds of White Lotus season two. In it, did you see that, Beth? Oh no, I didn't. Um, when did that? Yeah, when yeah. did that come Um, this week. Um, oh. yeah, it looked. I mean, just just from the literally matter of seconds. Yeah. Uh, it looked really good. Obviously, it? <laughs> it looked brilliant. Yes, <laughs> that's what I'd say. Yeah. Um. And it featured Jennifer Coolidge. That's it. There was the first shot of Jennifer Coolidge actually in the show. Amazing. Yeah, so oh, exciting. So excited yeah. for that. Um, I will say, when we were talking about Rogue One, one thing I didn't mention is, uh, famously, not only did I write the review of Rogue One for Empire, but my name is on the American DVD and Blu-ray boxes. It literally, oh. there is only one quote. It's just wow. Rogue One. It's the cover. And it just says, <laughs> "Wow, triumphant, James Dyer Empire. <laughs> and that is the whole American DVD box. It's not Amazing. on the UK one, maddeningly. It's only on That's the one weird. in the US. But the That's Region really 1 weird. release of Rogue One just has one quote, and it is by me, and that is the whole box. Oh, it's sake. amazing. That is bizarre. But by the way, talking of talking of um, post quotes and everything, if you crank up Breeders on Sky, on Sky Why Q, you, 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 can hear, you can hear us arguing on the soundtrack. Is that, no, is that what you're going to say? The, or, or, the, the, only thing, the only quote is from Heat, from my review of it in Heat. It's literally like, five stars, Heat, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Amazing. 
Amazing. I don't know why they didn't use mine. Um, Right, let's move on now to reviews. And first up, we have Under the Banner of Heaven, which is based on the non-fiction book by John Krakauer that explored not only a particularly nasty double murder, but the formation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. the Mormons. Uh, Also, its extremist offshoots and some of its, shall we say, unsavory history. Uh, Andrew Garfield stars in this as Detective Jeb Pyre, whose faith is tested when he discovers the bodies of Daisy Edgar Jones, Brenda, and her young child boyd 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 yes tell me tell me what you thought uh, well it's an interesting one um i mean just first of all how the sheer onslaught of true crime hmm. limited series at the moment is is extraordinary it's it, you know i mean it's just every week there's a new true crime true crime show and some you know sometimes we're not able to review them um there was one the recent the Rene zellweger one i think arrived last week and that was embargoed yeah. we didn't get to review that um um, I'll say now that is a that is a whole whole piece of work that series um, that treats that whole crime as, as like almost like a comedy. It's almost like a there's like a kind of jolly like voiceover. It's really weird that show. I, I digress. This one, I mean, this feels like the Rolls potentially like a Rolls Royce of a true crime drama. I mean, just from the cast, Andrew Garfield playing um, the detective, who is, by the way, a fictional character. He's not the, he is not the um, not the actual detective who investigated the case. Um, Daisy Edgar Jones as Brenda Lafferty, uh, the victim, one of the victims, because the other victim was her kid. Um, Billy Howell as her husband. Wyatt Russell as um, one of um, his Billy Howell's brothers. Sam Worthington is another brother. Mm-hmm. Rory Culkin is another brother. All these brothers, there's a lot of them because <laughs> they are Mormons, um, all played by fantastic actors. Denise Goff, who is Denise Goff, is like multi award winning theatre star and, and, and TV drama star in a quite a small role as the wife of um, Ron, the, ca- um, uh, the character played by Sam Worthington. It's ex- the, the cast alone is genuinely extraordinary. When you throw on top of that the fact that this is an adaptation by Dustin Lance Black, Oscar winner Dustin Lance Black, uh, that's quite interesting who himself was brought up as a mormon so i think because the the really interesting thing about this story is it's a true it's it's the crime involved the brutal killing of this woman and her kid um it's within the mormon community in salt lake city utah so it's a lot of it is about the fact that an investigation into a case where it seems to be something to do with the faith itself and the hierarchy of this very, very strict organized religion, this quite unique organized religion. How do you go about um, fairly investigating this horrendous murder, double murder, when you're when you're facing quite a, a big kind of challenge in terms of questioning the members of this community and questioning the way they treat women for a start? I mean, that's a huge, big issue. Um, so it is a fa- potentially fascinating. I mean, it's a fascinating story um, based on an interesting book by John Krakauer, etc. I have to say, I did find it intriguing, and the case itself it's it's grim. It's grim as uh, as fuck because the, the, the central crime is so horrendous. <laughs> it's like a terry and then you have grim as, yeah, grim as fuck. Grim as fuck. Grim as fuck. <laughs> Then it's also, to- of course, it plays around in time, in timelines. So you mm. have, running concurrently, you have the story of how this woman 
became part of the Mormon community, her meeting Billy Howe's character, Alan, how they um, were introduced, how she was introduced to the rest of the community, and particularly the dad, who's a very strict figure, and all of that. That runs concurrently to the police investigation into the case, led by Andrew Garfield's character. And even then, that's not enough. They even throw in, and this is the weird bit, flashbacks to the actual creation of the Mormon religion. How did you find that? I found it bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. It's Um, the weak link of this show, I think, It's the weak link. It's a flaw. It's a big flaw. Because, I mean, on the one hand, I admire the ambition of it, in a way. But when you have, you know, when you have um, uh, Andrew Garfield's character chatting away, explaining something about the religion and to the suspect to billy howe who's you know is in because he's the husband of the victim you're initially he's initially the the prime suspect and billy howe's character is is floatily kind of narrating what the origins of religion are all about and you have actual flashbacks to those it is clunky to say the yeah. least i think a part of it is it's they've obviously tried to maintain part of the structure of the books part of john krakauer's book is a study of the origins of mormonism and fundamentalist sure. mormonism so it's part history book in there as well as sort of crime reporting yeah and i think yeah. they've tried to weave that into the narrative of it my main issue with it is that you know and the acting is superb throughout this and andrew garfield's performance in particular is incredible but it almost feels like you go into this weird Amdram flashback where none of that texture and none of that detail mm. exists. And it feels almost caricatured. You've got these historical Mormon characters like Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, and they're just, you know, wandering around in their big hats and collars, gesticulating angrily. And it just, it doesn't feel rounded. It doesn't feel like it has the same quality or texture as the rest of the show. And honestly, I found it really jarring every time it happened. Yeah, it is jarring. You're right. I agree. I agree. Um, I think I agree. Andrew Rafford is fantastic. He's been nominated for an Emmy for, for the role i think it's a bit weird that's a fictional character thrown into this whole you know true crime true life situation and the focus is completely on him like from the poster it's literally him it's all about him and his Mm. struggle and you're like okay maybe a little bit more emphasis on daisy edgar jones as the victim i mean you see you do see it it honors her life because because it is you know half the story is focusing on but it's a bit weird i don't know this is almost more a comment on the marketing of it than anything so yeah it's brilliantly acted it's very nicely shot it's um it, it, i found it quite emotional to watch but i do think but that device the going back to the origin of religion thing is clunky and and that did, did put me off and i think there are other moments that feel a bit like Two on the button in terms of trying to saying what it's trying to say about the Mormon religion, etc. But it is fascinating, fascinating but flawed. I, I mean, Andrew Garfield, I feel was always going to be exceptional in this. I was intrigued by this show largely because of him and him coming back to TV um, off the back of like a really buzzy year for him, like an incredibly buzzy year. Um, and it is interesting to see him really kind of downplay after he's done things like um, Tick, Tick, Boom and, you know, Spider-Man. He's coming and playing this very harried, very um, torn, conflicted, very straight, like, police detective. He's very religious, you know, he's very, like, bound by faith and duty. Um, so that was really interesting. It's obviously like playing the true detective card, which, you know, the first season of that was obviously incredible. And I feel like they're really trying to kind of build a similar world in that respect within this community. But I don't, the the, the flashbacks 
dampened everything in my opinion they, they should just should not have had that in there it, it was very clunky or have it in there but just find a completely different way of doing that a completely different way um i just found it a little bit sterile and i wonder if this is the 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 creation if this is dustin lance black kind of trying to really make this very serious very noirish very you know um sort of I'm trying to think how to see it. It is very, to go back to Dower, it does feel very Dower, but, you know, very intentionally so, very gripping. And obviously it's got a very, very traumatic event at the heart of it. But because of that, it just, and I think because I'm used to seeing um, Andrew Garfield in roles where he's very charismatic, where he's very um, exuberant almost, to see him sort of stuffed into this, story and and operating within this very rigid religious framework it just left me a little bit cold and i feel like i needed a bit more emotional investment in what i was watching again the, the fact this has just been quite quite a week for watching stories where women are battered and bruised and and mistreated is probably not helped the the kind yeah, of way yeah. i've seen this this show this week but yeah, I should really say like we've we've all been I think we've all been quite critical, but I don't think any of us would say it's a bad show. I think it's it's a, it's, it's a good, very well made show. It's I think, made. It, yeah, it's it, it is flawed, and I like, I get what those flashbacks do, and I, I enjoyed the Daisy Edgar Jones flashbacks. I thought again, she's fantastic in that, and it, it fleshes out that character, and it gives you a feel for the backstory of this. Um, it's the Brigham Young slash Joseph Smith thread that bothers me and i understand why it's there because i think a lot of people certainly outside the u.s probably don't understand a great deal about mormonism so certainly don't understand quite how divergent uh mormon theology is from sort of mainstream christianity so it serves a purpose but i think if you combine the fact that stylistically it doesn't really fit with the main show with the fact that every single one of these is over an hour long like i just feel like you could shave 10 minutes off every episode just by getting rid of that segment and the whole thing would be sped up and then you're not being taken away from the mystery which is the compelling part of it anyway and i just think that the show maybe would have benefited from that uh but hey it's a minor quibble i think andrew garfield gives this incredibly sort of nuanced emotionally real sort of soulful wholesome performance of a man who is a man of faith but is also sort of righteous and principled and when his principle brushes up against his faith and they conflict it's his principle that shines forward like he's prepared to look at the possibilities that all is not what it seems. And I really, I thought he was, he, he plays that very well. I mean, he's a very, you know, sensitive actor as well. Uh, and I think he's the, he's the big old bright shining star here, but enjoyed this a little bit too long. But other than that, I liked it. But under the banner of heaven, Will air, and he's going to play for time now while he looks to find the dates, which I do have on a document here. And I'm going to keep talking until I Wednesday find it. Wednesday the 27th. It's going to come up. What's that, boy? Do you say it's Wednesday the 27th? <laughs> oh, God. Yes, indeed. Under the banner of heaven then airs on the 27th of July on Wednesday on Disney+. Plus. Next this week, we have Apple's latest series, Surface, which sees Gugu Mbatha-Raw as Sophie. And she is a woman who has hurled herself from a ship in attempt in an attempt to take her own life, only to wind up with amnesia and forced to piece the broken parts of her past back together and find out why she did what she did. Or perhaps if she did what people say she did. Beth, do you want to take us 
beneath the surface of... I don't know, this. this. Tell us about this. Um, well, it's ironic, isn't it? Because there's nothing beneath the surface with this show. It's all, it's all on the surface. It's all there. It's surface-level stuff. It's just... Maybe it's called surface because it's just... Just on the surface. So, yeah. So, this is... Um, Veronica West has created... Um, she developed and produced High Fidelity, the new High Fidelity, which I really liked. Um, so this is her going in like a, a pretty, pretty major new direction um, with this show. And I've only watched the first episode of this, but it's, yeah, it's Gugu as um, Sophie, who is like a moneyed, nicely put together young woman who is, yeah, trying to piece together or just trying to kind of not even piece together what's happened to her at this stage. She's just reintroduce it being reintroduced to her life through the people in it so there's james who's her husband played by oliver jackson cohen um her friends who are just god-awful women who drink cocktails in um very nice bars um and then she sees a therapist as well to kind of talk over what's happened so she's being reintroduced to her life she's trying to just kind of move forward in it and try and gain back what she thinks she's lost, basically. And then this guy, uh, played by Stephen James Baden, he starts to show up mysteriously, looking over his shoulder and dropping her clues. And uh, then she realises that he's been involved in her life prior to the um, attempted suicide that's alleged to have happened. She starts to find more clues. And it's about the mystery of what's happened and what's going on. Um, but this show i just couldn't get on board with i just couldn't do it it's uh again so it's reese witherspoon is on as exec producer who her company hello sunshine are putting out all kinds of things at the moment they're doing they've done this historic um partnership with like an nft all women nft company and they're going to do loads of content with them they've done cruel dads obviously did morning show which is probably how this show came to be on apple um and of course i, I would go back to it again it is an apple show so it looks moneyed like there's a budget here all the interiors are like marble and high ceilings and the outfits of all you know like beautiful designer outfits that she wears everyone looks like gorgeous but it is just a show of very little substance and a lot of style i thought the script for this show was dreadful it's a it's a melodrama essentially is what i took away from this it's a very melodramatic show but posing as this kind of tight stylized thriller um the dialogue is just it's dreadful dialogue and it, it, I'm sure there's like there has to be a reason why it's so bad like there is a scene where she sat with these awful women having this these terrible conversations that just feel like an algorithm has uh, someone's typed in what do what do millennial women say and it's just come up with like 10 points and they've just said can you just read these out over some mojitos um and then yeah Gugu just and I love her. She was so, so fucking good in the morning show. Like her storyline was absolutely devastating, but carried off with real integrity. Like I loved her in that. I think she's a wonderful big screen presence. I love her in Loki. She gets to have like fun in Loki and do some like, you know, deceptive, interesting stuff. But in this, she is, and I know she's got amnesia and I know that's why she's a two dimensional character, but like, there's, there's there's nothing to this character other than she's the sum of what's happened to her. And I think that is such a waste. That is such a waste of, of this like talent. I cannot stand when you see someone like that just put to bow waste. I think it's just 
badly written. It's sort of quite almost like lazily directed. There just there doesn't feel like any energy in the directing. Also, also, there's a scene where she's running that cuts between different days. So there's a scene where she runs around a corner and it's sunny. She veers around the corner and it's raining. And then she carries on down the street and it's sunny again. And I shouldn't necessarily care about that stuff. But by the time, by that time, I was so pet up by how angry I was at the show. I was like, "You, were, this, is the, this is the bad cherry on top of a bad, bad cake. Um, like, I think if you've got that much money to, like, make the show look that good, sort your editing out. Sort out your continuity. Um, yeah, I just, I found it vapid. I just, I don't, uh, it was just a shame. I just don't like seeing good talent squandered. And this was, this was very much the case. I did not, I did not care for it. <laughs> I thought that running scene is like a kind of montage or kind of meant to show that she's, you know, she does a lot of Was running it? both before. I think so. I think so. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I, yeah. But I, what I would say about the running is she spends, half this, she spends half this fucking show, right, running in the middle of the street, in the middle yeah, of the road, rather. Yeah. In the middle of the road in San yeah. Francisco. Is there no, do cars not use roads in San Francisco? I mean, I've been there a number of times. That was weird that she, that, that she, like, maybe she's running. clumsy. Maybe that's what happened she was just clumsy and fell off the boat yeah yeah well yeah um i agree with everything you've said i agree with absolutely everything you said but you know what i really enjoyed it oh, this is- <laughs> i love this kind of shit I, i'm here for this 100 percent. it's really similar i mean it's not going to win any awards either for the scripts, which you're right, is functional at best. And, um, but it's re- for originality, it's really similar. Do you, see, do you remember there was a show called Close to Me, which I don't think we reviewed because for some reason um, right. earlier this year on Channel 4 um, with um, Connie Nielsen, which was all about her. She was found at the bottom of her stairs. Oh, and it, she'd had an accident. She'd lost all memory of the period before the accident. And it was a big amnesia um, drama. Christopher Eccleston was in it as well. It was like everyone's lying to her about what she was like and she had this whole life it was very very similar concept to this i mean amnesia thrillers i do like them i do there's something fascinating about them it's also remember we saw gugu and bartha raw in um the girl before the girl before yeah yeah on bbc one where basically she was playing yeah a a quite a woman in quite a similarly kind of stressful situation where she was trying to work out what the fuck was going on about that house about this lavish house that she she's renting from this lunatic architect um we wouldn't allow you know had all these rules about that and she was really good in that she's very good at playing people kind of who who got confused bewildered put upon abused situation in this situation where they're trying to work out what the fuck is going on in their lives and she's great at it i have to say you've also got oliver jackson cohen as her husband who is the king of creepy nice yeah. He's like nice, nice, yeah, nice, 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 yeah. nice. He's being lovely to her, looking after her, everything there, but there's something not quite right. There's something wrong with him, you know. Yeah. Like, and he's brilliant at it. I love him for it. Invisible Man, him and Elizabeth Moss, fantastic. And he's got that in this. He's got very, very similar, like just something not quite right with him. Even though he's being absolutely wonderful to his wife, who has got, who doesn't remember anything about him, has no idea what the fuck he's like, really. Um, and you're right, the friends are hysterically over the top and ridiculous. The interiors, oh my god, the interiors are lush. They live in a fucking grandiose mansion yeah, but where, like, you know, 
All right. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's not a, it's not, I'm not like, you know, I'm not complimenting. I'm just saying it's, it's, you know, the interior is fantastically, you know, fantastic. And then she goes, not content with, I've watched four episodes, by the way, not content with this enormous mansion they live in. They also have a, a like a country house, which is just like an hour away from San Francisco. Um, Near the the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge, where they have this like this fantastically beautiful, more interiors in their other like country places, but where they go to at weekends, I just enjoyed every minute of it. It is, uh, it is, it is as you say, it's in that same kind of world to me as the Undoing. You know that HBO. I, yes, Hugh I see Grant. big Undoing energy. Yeah. Is very much my feel with this big Undoing energy. So it's like yes, it is it is stupidly written. It's it, it's maddening in many ways. They're there's huge, big plot leaps and ludicrous stuff going on, but you just—I just give myself to these kinds of things, and I very much. This is absolutely my bag. I very much enjoyed it, and it's got that apple for sheen. It's a sheen <laughs> of glossiness and everything. So, like even the the, tink, the rain, even the title sequence, the beautiful title sequence with her in the water and the shimmering light on the water. It just looks. It just looks fantastic. Oh my god! Do you remember? Um, sorry, I'm just going to point out yeah, the product on. placement in the first five minutes or so. Oh when yeah, she's trying to remember yeah. her apple. ID yeah. password. There's a lot of Apple ID password stuff going on. Yeah, oh, that, <laughs> yeah. They're pretty good, it's, otherwise. You get a flash oh. of an iPhone. You can tell it's written in that you have to have an iPhone in so many shots of it. But that was that was too fucking far for me. The whole the whole storyline revolving the iPad is key. I mean, the iPad plays a huge <laughs> a huge part in this <laughs> part in this, this drama. Absolutely completely, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I very much enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that kind of threw me most about this, and like I have to say, sorry, Beth, I'm kind of in camp board oh, with this. Like, this was proper. Matter? This was proper junk food for me. I was like, this is a real guilty pleasure. Like, is it? Is it? Is it great? Like, no. Is it going to be in our best shows of the year list? No, but it was really fun. And and but the thing that really threw me is I I started like something was again niggling in the back of my head. Like my my Peter Tingle was on again. I was like, something's familiar here. And You're then Peter I suddenly thought, Tingle, my Peter Tingle. Yes, sense. yes, but this. Peter Tingle. It's called the wow. Peter Tingle. And, wow. and and I was thinking about now Boyd. I don't know why I'm saying Boyd. I just assume because Boyd's older, he will remember this. Beth, you may remember it as well. Do you remember Wolfgang Peterson's Shattered from the early 90s yeah, with Tom oh, Berenger? This had massive yeah, yeah. Shattered yeah. vibes to it. And genuinely, without spoilers, and I apologise to anyone who's seen Shattered, but I don't know this for a fact, but my theory here is I wonder if the plot for this isn't the same. And I wonder if the big twist is going to be the same twist that's in Shattered. Because I was just like, there was just something that first of all, I was like, hang on, I know where this is going. And I will be fascinated to know if I'm right and this has the same twist as Shattered <laughs> but, um, oh, yeah, you might be right yeah genuinely like I was like oh I've seen this before but I don't care if it is right it's just it is fun and she's great like Gugu is just fantastic like she's very very watchable I will I'm, I I know what Beth means that the dialogue is not Proust like it's like it's it's a little bit functional it's not, my head. <laughs> it's not fabulous <laughs> but you know the show looked glorious and she's great and I want to know what happened and it's just yeah yeah, it's fun. It's like it's like cracking open a tube of Pringles. 
the television equivalent of that. Uh, so I think Shutter was also set in San Francisco, wasn't it? From memory. But anyway, yeah. That it's I good, couldn't it's good, say. It's uh, been a very long time since I've seen it. I know yeah. it's Bob Hoskins. Is this Joan, Joanne Wally as well, I want to say? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Greta Skaki, Tom Berenger. Yes. It, was, it was tawdry, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. It's that kind of 90s thriller that you just don't get yes. in cinemas anymore, yes. ever. But yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say one final thing about this while we're on sort of verisimilitudes. Like, their lax approach to the availability of medical records did bother me like that's a thing that i was oh. like hang on oh hang on by the way by the way what does she do in the hospital what is she i job? don't know i don't know but the is, fact is it someone's just me a, yeah, yeah. is like, she like oh, a doctor or yeah, just, uh, is she a go off and i'll just sit at your desk yeah when i was writing right this is so this is true i was writing about this for heat right and i was like and I, and I do i don't take many notes i'll be honest with you when i'm reviewing something i mean that is a flaw in my plan but i was like what the fuck is her job at this hospital and, it completely, and i went back i had to go back to the, to, to rewind and i still don't understand what she's supposed to be doing in that hospital it's fascinating and the fact that she's allowed to just run across run for hours on end in the streets of San Francisco rather than doing whatever she jo- that job is at the hospital it's, it's bizarre anyway sorry carry on amazing amazing well surface then comes to apple tv plus on friday and finally this week we have from a supernatural series recommended to me by my close personal friend titus welliver uh this sees harold perrineau jr as boyd not our boyd but rather the sheriff of a town that welcomes visitors but doesn't let them leave uh it's also a place that gets particularly gnarly after the sun goes down and monsters come out to play now this one aired back in february in the states and it has already been renewed for season two so more supernatural goodness down the line but boyd boyd wait for it where are you coming from oh my god on this um i uh i got a bit lost <laughs> on the way <laughs> in working out just how much lost was the key influence on this show yeah um because it's basically lost but instead of on an island it's in a wooded community kind of kept off the beaten track mm. where you where like hotel california you can't leave when well, as soon as you arrive you can't leave um it's it's weird. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because, I mean, first of all, any show that has a character called Boyd is obviously, is obviously <laughs> exciting. For, and the fact that Boyd Stevens, the sheriff and de facto mayor of this town that no one can ever leave, is played by Harold Perrineau, the brilliant actor from Oz, the classic prison drama Oz. And he, lost. He was, and lost indeed. <laughs> um, means that um, it, that's fantastic that Boyd is being played by him because he's fantastic. He's also a complete bastard in this show. Yeah. This The, the opening which is quite hardcore there's an opening scene which I won't go into too much detail to, yeah. to, to reduce the impact but let's just say stuff happens quite traumatic <laughs> stuff happens quite bloody and violent stuff then Harold Perrineau comes in Boyd comes in and he's like <laughs> he treats the yeah. poor person involved horrendously and he's a complete and utter bastard but you do then I guess the whole mystery of this show is why is the sheriff being so horrible to everyone? And why is he insisting that everyone gets back into their homes and draws the curtains and closes the blinds before the sun goes down? And what is, why is this this place, this small town, a place that as soon as you enter, you can't leave? Why does the highway, the freeway or whatever it is, circulate, circle around the whole thing? So this family, the other main focus of the opening of this pilot episode is that this new family who's trying to find somewhere to stay for their vacation. And they can't they can't extricate themselves from this small town and they're thrown right into the middle of the whole um, bizarre situation it's a really intriguing premise 
even if it is quite similar, heavily influenced by Lost, and if it does start one of the stars of Lost, etc. But I was fairly gripped. I was um, it's actually produced by the Russo brothers as well. I've just seen, uh, and it's nicely shot. Um, it's really quite. You know, it's there's full on the violence and the gore for a horror thing is there. It's not, you know, it doesn't it doesn't shilly shally when it comes to that. Um and Harold Perrineau is great as Boyd. Um so I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say that it's at the top of my list of things to carry on watching. Um, because I kind of, especially because I know it's been renewed. When you know something, this high concept has been renewed. You're like, they obviously can't solve all the the main central mystery of what the fuck is going on this season because they've got to carry on to the second season at least. Of course, we had this all of this with Lost back in the day. Mm. Um, so there's that's a big caveat for me, and I'm not sure. And I, I, I'm I will probably find the time to carry on watching it, but it's not it's not at the top of my list. It is really intriguing. I will say this show was an absolute nightmare to Google. Like I was trying to find, because yeah. I didn't, <laughs> I was trying to find, it was like from TV show in the UK. And it was just how to stream UK shows from, US. it was it was a nightmare. Uh, I'm just moaning at this stage, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is definitely cashing in on the big, like Stephen King, Mike Flanagan, Zeitgeist of the last few years, oh, yeah. isn't it? Like what Mike Flanagan's done for like serialized TV is is pretty amazing, and he's obviously done this with this kind of small town community with a big unseen for well, it's not unseen, but but a, a force of evil kind of locking it, and then the dynamics within the town. Um, I really love Harold Perrineau. I have not got the stomach to watch Oz, but I thought he was obviously great in Lost. Um, but he's I, I'm I'm pleased to see him doing something as meaty and interesting as this. Um, but I've only seen the first episode. You've got, you've got to give me more than that in the first episode. It cuts off at a really, like, I, I don't want to spoil, but you think you're going to get something in that first episode and you don't. And I think it was a lot of building up of, of story with the intention of it going in a lot of different places, but the, 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 the sort of payoff just wasn't quite there for me. Um, but yeah, it is, it is interesting. I do love, I loved Lost when it was out. I thought it was amazing. And Yellow Jackets as well, obviously, this kind of stream of like mysterious terror and getting to the root of what that actually is and why these people are, are locked in this situation is always interesting to me. So I might well keep watching this for the time being. Um, but it needs to put its cards on the table a bit sooner um, than it is, I think, is, is what I'm saying. I mm. loved it, as yeah, I'm sure you yeah. can imagine. I absolutely loved it. I watched the first three episodes of this because oh. I just couldn't stop. Uh, I found it incredibly addictive, as puzzle box shows often are, because oh. you just want to see, is it going to tell me a bit more? Is it going to tell me a bit more? And each episode tells you a little bit more, like a fraction, a tiny bit ah, more. That's not enough for me. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, so you'll get it, but it's it's really compelling. And I think what's kind of interesting is that there are moments this where it's quite chilling that everyone who like goes to the count sees this fallen tree before they do like there's like an omen this thing they see before they get stuck in the town and they can never leave again because when they drive out they just drive back in again uh which is you know it's a well-worn trope that is but it's used very very effectively here and then you have the kind of monsters in the night idea and again monsters that come out of night not new done it in the x-files done it in pitch black done it in so many other things but i think this has a real kingian vibe to it and it's not just a small town setting it's also the sense that each this the town is populated by a cast of quite distinct oddbods and you know how stephen king loves 
loves his distinct odd bods. And there are just really weird characters in there. And you just think, I want to know what these people's deal is. What's your deal? What's your deal? You know, what's going on? Why are you like that? And I think, so even beyond the setting, like they doesn't, I didn't find the characters at all bland. Weirdly, the main family that come in are a little bit bland, but the people mm. in the town, I found really fascinating. I think there was only one exception to this to me, and that's um, David Alpe plays a character called Jade, who is deeply, profoundly aggravating. And he's basically a guy who doesn't believe any of it's real and thinks it's like an elaborate reality show or a setup or a game or something. And it just gets so fucking tired. And you just think, for the love of God, could a monster come out of the forest and just tear his face off for my own sanity? Because I cannot deal with him any longer. Is he the one uh, Is he the one who, when we see him in episode one, he's te- he tells everyone they're really hot and he's like, oh, you're a beautiful. Oh, yeah, he's, the one, he's off one? his tits oh. on drugs when he turns up. Uh, yeah, yeah, but right, yeah. when he oh, yeah, sobers he's- up, he's even more annoying <laughs> he's really irritating yeah yeah, yeah he's, he he's he's terrible so Ian Bailey and his family obviously the, the main ones they come in in their RV with his son his daughter and his wife and they get stuck in the town so they're sort of our eyes and ears the sort of avatar for the audience and we get it explained they have it explained to them we have it explained to us what the deal is with this town but what's quite interesting again it's that they've taken that and so the town is split into two you have the people who live in the main town who kind of pull together for the common good and like, are still committed to trying to get out and then you have colony house which is like this great big it's almost like a university halls of residence like a hippie commune where everyone in there is doing drugs and fucking and just believing this hedonistic lifestyle because they're like we might get eaten tonight so let's have fun painting uh, and I painting love, yes yeah boyd's son that character is hilarious i forgot to mention him yeah he's an artist we he knows an artist because he's got a cravat he's like topless but with a cravat yeah. and he paints some girl naked and he's like oh yeah i'm above all this bullshit yeah oh, i'm, I'm an artist he is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. And I, I, you know, I found it really compelling and really fascinating. Also really horrific, like properly gory, but shocking in a couple of places. And it's not just the monsters. Even the first episode, there's a couple of really like quite again, Kingian moments where one of the odd bod characters does something massively sociopathic and no one seems to notice. <laughs> um, so there are lots and lots of layers to this, lots of stuff to be about. Like I said, I've only done three episodes. I think there are 10 in the first season with the second season to come, but I'll definitely watch this through to the end i actually like i watched three and then i had to stop myself so i was like no because i could very easily disappear down this rabbit hole and go all the way to the end because i've got better call saul to watch so i need to pause it yeah. until after better call saul but as soon as i'm done with better call saul i'm going straight back to from because i thought it was great uh but 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 from then which comes to sky sci-fi on the 26th of july at 9 p.m M. That uh, is, by the way, that's the launch night of Sky Sci-Fi, which has changed its name. It used to be Sci-Fi, on, and now it's Sky Sci-Fi. So, oh, so, so, hang on, the, so well, as in Sci-Fi, as in Sci-Fi, yeah, not the Sci-Fi yeah. channel. So S-Y-F-Y yeah, yeah, is now called yeah. Sky Sci-Fi. Yes, yes. Okay, exactly. I'm very confused, and I didn't know that. Yeah, right, that's the whole point, yeah. So this from is the kind of launch show, if you like, and on launch night on Tuesday of the change from Sci-Fi to Sky Sci-Fi. <laughs> But then, but sci-fi, as in sci-fi, which used to be the sci-fi channel, then became sci-fi, yeah. S-C-I dash yeah. F-I, then became S-Y-F-Y to distinguish yeah. it from the sort of general genre yeah. of sci-fi. I guess that used to be its own entity, but now it's now just sky sci-fi. But what is it in the States? Is it still sci-fi? Um, C-fi? I think it's still sci-fi. I think so, yeah. I think the sci-fi, the sci-fi thing never caught C-fi. on here. <laughs> we so. call it sci-fi. <laughs> sci-fi, sci-fi, yeah. Très français. <laughs> 
<laughs> so Sifi in America, but Sky Sci-Fi now here in the UK. Exactly. So this is what we exactly. would normally have called a Sifi show, but it is now a Sky Sci-Fi show. Okay, I'm glad yeah. we have clarified that situation. Okay, exactly. okay, fine. So uh, what else is out this week that we have not covered? Obviously, Paper Girls, we did not cover. Mm. This comes to Amazon Prime, uh, and that is based on Brian K. Vaughan's graphic novel. But that is embargoed, so we're going to cover that next week. Anything else we've missed this week? Yeah, there is. Um, there is. What is oh, the Great comes to Channel Four. The um, very good um, Catherine the Great uh, series that's on um, what's it called? Stars Play here. Um, season two uh, arrives on Channel Four on Wednesday at ten o'clock. And that aired, really that already show. aired previously uh, before Christmas, didn't it? On uh, Stars Play, yeah, Stars, on Stars Play, Play yeah. yeah, but it's just coming to yeah. terrestrial, yeah. But a lot of people don't know have access to Stars Play or don't know what Fair Stars enough. Play. So I think <laughs> I think it makes sense. It's part of a deal. Channel um, Channel Four did a deal with them about um, their content, and so they have second rights to their shows. But the Great is one of the best things on Stars Play. I think there's also this show called The News Reader, which actually started on Sunday, the 24th, which is an Australian show, which people are saying was very similar to the Newsroom, the Aaron Sorkin show, mm. and it's like a kind of yeah, it's like set in the world of news and news reading. It focused, set in the eighties. Um, it's all about like a female anchor and what face, what issues she faces. Um, it's got really good, got really good reviews in Australia. Was there, and that's on BBC Two on from Sunday the twenty fourth. And I think it'll all be on iPlayer if you want to see that. Uncoupled is on Netflix from Friday the 29th, which is the Neil Patrick Harris comedy created by Darren Star of Sex and the City fame and that's about him um, hitting his partner hits 50 and dumps him basically um, in and he has to suddenly turn to the single life in New York as a New York a single gay man in New York that's embargoed um, I may have seen some of it but I can't comment because it is embargoed maybe we'll review that next week I think we'll review that next week I think that's about it right what is our pick of the week <laughs> Beth's just like don't watch television <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm saying I, for me it's surface surface is the one I'm looking forward most to watching the rest of it. You are incredibly extra boy. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I'll go for from 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 Yes, got me. Come on, Beth. I am also going for from because oh, it is gosh. the single greatest thing on TV this week. It's amazing. Uh right, okay. Well, that is it for this week's show. As you've heard, boy may be doing all sorts of things next week, and I have no control over it whatsoever because I am not here next week, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I will be taking the week off, uh, so shirking my pod responsibilities. Boyd won't be here either, actually, because he's in New York, but consummate professional that he is, Boyd will yep. be dropping in remotely to continue his uninterrupted streak as the only pilot TV podder who has never missed a single episode. Wild. So, there professional. You go. That's yeah. it. You're a pro. Nothing yeah. but pro, Boyd. Yeah. Um, yeah. Please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the show. And if you hated it, then obviously feel free not to. Uh, if you want to feedback to us in person, please do head over to the King's Place website and book your tickets to our live 200th episode all day on Sunday, the 21st of August. And you can shout your reviews at us while we're standing on the stage. Uh, the link is <laughs> pinned on my Twitter, which you can find at James C. Dyer. And while you're on Twitter, do visit at Boyd Hilton and at Beth K. Webb. Uh, now, as I said, I won't be here next week, but fear not because because Kay Ribeiro will be stepping in to torment Boydie in my place. And an excellent job she will do of that, I am sure. Um, it's a hell of a week to miss too, actually, because Sandman comes to Netflix. However, however, I have it on good authority that Sandman is embargoed, which means you're going to have 
have to wait until I get back to oh. do that one, oh, uh, which I'm very, very pleased about. <laughs> I may or may not have every episode of that waiting for me. This is the thing that was stressing me out the other week. Like I've got Sandman episodes, but I feel like I can't take 10 hours to watch Sandman when I've no, got Better Call Saul I need to watch. Yeah. So it's yeah. really stressing me out. So I, you know, I'm going to maybe, during my week off, I'll maybe see if I can slot it in once I've caught up with Better Call Saul. So we'll see how it goes. But, you know, have fun without me. Don't turn it into a great big breeder special if you can avoid it. But uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> we will. We'll struggle without you. Yeah, you'll struggle through. You'll get by. Uh, mm. Until then, though, pilot out. <laughs> <laughs>